the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is risen. As I was preparing for the homily today, I remembered a TV show that was in the late 90s, early 2000s. It's called Whose Line Is It Anyway? Maybe you remember that show. It was an improv comedy show that ran for a long time. Whose Line Is It Anyway? I was thinking of that because it seems like the gospel today, especially the beginning of the gospel, it is whose fault is it anyway? That's the question the disciples are asking. Whose fault is it anyway that this man was born blind? They said to our Lord, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, they were making the presumption that someone was at fault for his blindness. And then furthermore, making the presumption that the people who are at fault must be either the blind man or the blind man's parents. So they're asking, whose fault is it that this happened? We could say this more broadly. We ask about whose fault is it that, you know, anything happens in our life? Is it my fault that this bad occurrence happened? Oh, it's that person's fault because they did this to me. Or I am angry because that person, it's their fault and they did this other thing. We're always looking for whose fault is it? We want to assign fault. Why? Because we really live in a legal system. Our spiritual life is like a legal system. And assigning fault is a very important thing that we see in our worldly legal system. Talk about no-fault divorce. Or in a car accident, whose fault is it? What percentage? If you think of fault as like this tipping scale between the two people, what percentage is their fault? What percentage is my fault? And we take this and we transpose that into our spiritual lives. And so we think about whose fault is it? Ultimately, it's because we're afraid that someone will say, you're guilty. You're guilty of what you've done there. And so in our, in our lives, we look to blame others. We have what's called the blame game, where we're pointing at others whose fault it is. And the problem with all of this is that no one gets healed. No one gets healed. In fact, and we see this in our lives, sin begats more sin. So in the legal system, it might be, well, it's one person's fault or the other, or a percentage. But in fact, what happens in our spiritual lives is some person's fault then causes another person to have their own fault. Sin begets more sin. It grows and it feeds off of itself. And so, in fact, we're rarely immune to that question of whose fault is it. We must always be seeking out our part in the sin. So looking for the fault in sin is not inherently bad. The fault in ourselves can be helpful. It can be helpful to look for fault in ourselves. But what I'd like to say today is that that's insufficient. It's not enough. That question of whose fault it is or how much fault is mine, when we bring that into confession, we see how insufficient it is. Because in the context of fault, we only want to confess the things that I can say, well, that's my fault, so I'm going to confess that thing. 
But what about things in our lives with our deeper wounds, where there are situations where I can't really figure out fault per se, like the situation of the man born blind, like the situation of the coronavirus? What a question. Whose fault is it that we have the coronavirus? And so you see this question of fault really falls short. It falls short because it doesn't address all of the, the sin that exists in the world and all of the ways in which the world has fallen and all of the ways in which we are wounded and broken. Repentance, rather, is looking at my wounds and seeking healing. Are they self-inflicted wounds, like they're my fault? Maybe. Many of them are. The point is that we're looking for our wounds, whether we want to assign fault or not to them. They're our wounds. You see, the deeper problem is about how we look at God and how we look at Judgment Day. We imagine that God is the one who is going to say at the end of time, guilty. You're guilty. It's your fault. God is the one who's going to sit on the judgment seat and hand out our sentence, our prison sentence. This is what we imagine of God. And this is wrong. This is wrong. You see, we imagine that he's the one that is looking for fault and then assigning our punishments. So what do we do? We become neurotic, trying to escape guilt and to assign fault. This is what our spiritual lives look like, is this neurosis of it's not my fault, it's not my fault, it's that person's fault. I don't want to face my guilt. This neurosis comes from our own view of God. And it becomes even more ridiculous when we look at things like the coronavirus, like the, blind, the man born blind, like the things in our own lives. Even if we look at the things in our own life, if I struggle with pride, and I simply say, oh, well, that's my fault. Yes. And yes, there's something bigger, deeper there. There's a deeper wound there that doesn't just get healed by saying, well, this is my fault. Yet in, the legal system is the way we approach the spiritual life. And this persists. We must be honest. This persists because there's a part of us that wants it that way. We prefer a legal system. Why? Because it's cut and dry. It's really clear. Here's the rule book. Follow the rules. You broke the rules. Here's your punishment. So we like the legal framework, even though it's wrong, even though it causes our own neurosis and causes our own spiritual turmoil. But the other reason why we like the legal framework is because it's surface level. It's transactional. It's all about, I do this and I get that back, or I don't do this and I get that instead. We don't really have to dig inside of ourselves when we look at our spiritual lives in the legal sense. What we don't really want to do is surgery, open heart surgery. This is what the spiritual life is. And having the legal framework is a lot easier than open heart surgery, let's be honest. But so you see the problem with the legal framework 
because that that's not what God desires. God does not desire to have a legal framework. He wants transformation, not transaction. He wants to transform us from the inside out. He wants to be our open heart surgeon. So imagine for a minute that you find out you need to have quadruple bypass surgery, some sort of open heart surgery. You go into the doctors, to the cardiac surgeon's office, and the cardiac surgeon is showing you these x-rays of your heart, and here's what's going on, here's what we're going to do, and how we can heal this. And you start saying, well, I didn't cause that. I mean, I didn't, I, I tried to eat the best food I could, and you know, my parents and my grandparents struggled with heart disease. And you know, I did smoke for a while, but I gave it up. And, and you know, I just like fatty foods, and so it's hard for me. What does that look like? It would look ridiculous at a surgeon's office to be saying that. The surgeon would immediately say, I don't care about all that stuff. I care about this right here in the picture. And this right here in the picture is what I want to heal. And instead of saying, yeah, but I need to tell you the backstory on this. You have to understand these things. I mean, I didn't even know what was going on in my heart because it's inside of me. And so I was just eating the things I was eating. And the surgeon's saying, stop. I don't care about how this came about. What I care about is healing you. This is a very clear picture of how we operate in our spiritual lives. Why? Because we have this legal framework, and in the legal framework, what do you do? You defend yourself. You try to be justified. And in our spiritual life, being justified is death. God is the one who is just. We are not the ones who have to justify ourselves. We are not the ones that have to defend ourselves. God just wants to heal us. He is that surgeon who says, look, here's the problem. I want to heal it. But there's one other piece. When you go to the surgeon's office, what do you also have to do? You have to sign a bunch of waivers that say, yes, I want you to cut me open and do this surgery. And that's what we need. We need to say to God, I want you to do this. I see that it's here and I want it healed. And this is the crucial piece. And this brings us back to repentance. My brothers and sisters, we just don't understand the judgment day. We imagine that God is there as a judge in a courtroom giving out our punishment. But imagine God as the surgeon in the surgeon's office. And as he said two weeks ago on the gospel that we read, about the paralytic, he says, do you want to be healed? This is what judgment day is. The simple question, did you want to be healed? This is, will be our incrimination, is standing before God at the end of time, and he will say, did you want to be healed? You see, we are not judged by our sins. Now you're saying, whoa, Father, this is heresy. We're not judged by our sins. We're judged by our repentance or our lack thereof. This is what we're judged by. And we're so focused 
on being judged by our sins and trying to right the wrongs. Instead, we need to focus on the repentance of it, which, yes, this is all interwoven. Our sins are brought before us. Why? Because we didn't repent of them. Because we didn't repent of them. Not because the sins in and of themselves, but because we didn't seek the healing that was necessary, that is necessary. And so our Lord at Judgment Day says, did you really want to be healed? And this is the question that incriminates each and every one of us. Do you want to be healed? Do you really want open heart surgery? Do you really want to be healed? Because it's a lot deeper of a dig than it is to say, whose fault is it? It's a lot deeper. And it kind of sets aside the question of whose fault is it? Again, that can be helpful. It can be very useful. I can say, hey, this is my fault, God. Forgive me. I'm a horrible person. I did these things. But that's not the fullness of what we're after. So I'd like to close with a beautiful word, a Greek word, which describes God. It's amnisikakos. Amnisikakos. I hope you can remember that word, because it's two words that we actually know very well, amnisikakos. The first part you can hear amnesia, amnesia, forgetting, a lack of remembrance, literally, a lack of remembrance. And kakos, that sounds like what it is. Cacophony means a bad noise. Kakos means bad. So God is amnisikakos the one who forgets evil, the one who doesn't remember bad things. This is who God is. He's not that voice in our head that says, you did this, you did that, look, 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 all of this. God is the one that wants to forget evil, forget bad things. But the ones whom he loves, they're all wounded by it. And so God in his love he wants to heal the wounds in those whom he loves. God is omnisikakos. He is the one who is forgetful of our wrongs. When we repent, when we repent, he wipes those away. Now, I'm not talking about a surface repentance. Oh, I did something wrong. God forgive me. And then I move on. I'm talking about a life of repentance, a repentant spirit at all times. Going, ah, look at all this mess, God. All this mess that I have inside of me, and I keep sinning and sinning and sinning, and I don't want to. And I know that I can't get out of this mess without you. This is a life of repentance. It's a repentant way of being. And this is the person who stands before the judgment seat of God without blemish. Without blemish. God no longer remembers their wrongs. And this is what we want. But instead, we keep falling back on whose fault is it? Oh, it's not my fault. This is why. This is how this happened. God just wants to make us whole. He wants to heal our wounds from the sin. So I challenge you, don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid to take on your sins. There are plenty of them there. 
And there's things that we don't even know how to describe as sin. We can just go, ah, this is a mess. This part of my life is a mess. The way I interact with this person is just a mess. And I can't even figure out where the fault is or how, but I just know it doesn't, it's not right. It's not good. It's not whole. So don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Because the irony of it all is, in the legal framework, we think that sins are at the forefront, are the central thing. But in fact, when we look at it in this other way, the way of a surgeon, the sins actually come out more. More. Because we realize the process of repenting of sins is a healing. So what happens in the repentant person? Here, God, here's this thing. Here, here's this other thing. Look, I noticed this. And look at this. And look at this. But what about this over here? Whereas the opposite viewpoint says, this, is, this isn't really, this wasn't me. I know this is here, but I don't want you to know about this. Or this thing over here, just let's not talk about it. I'd rather confess the things that are on the checklist that we go and look at when we're preparing for confession rather than this big thing right here that I don't even know how to talk about I don't even want to think about. So in that, that legal framework, the things remain hidden. When we come before God with a broken heart, when we come before God with repentance, everything comes out. And then, and only then, are we healed. So may we not ask the question, whose fault is it? But instead say, where are my wounds? Where are my wounds? How do I continue to hurt the people around me? How do I continue to be hurt? Bring that to God. And may we then find repentance. Amen.